nice to hear your voice again i know it's been a it's been a hot minute we had a little holiday break yeah uh i think we confused everybody because the nick episode was actually recorded before we took a break but we won't tell anybody that that's a top secret inside (laughs) yeah old-fashioned the the unintentional part two right right so on a side note i'm not drinking an old-fashioned tonight but i am drinking a cousin to the old-fashioned maybe the manhattan Nah, very good choice. I've been on a Manhattan kick lately. Me and my wife have been going to a lot of restaurants, and it seems like a lot of the specials have always had a Manhattan slid in there. So I feel like I've been on this Manhattan kick for a little bit. I, I had one last year. We went to, I forgot the name of the place, but a really fancy restaurant with my parents as part of a Christmas gift. And they had a smoked Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And it came out to the table and like literally like he took a cover off the top and smoke came out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what they lit and threw in it or what it was, but it was, Mm -hmm. it was delicious. I will say the first Manhattan I ever got was coincidentally in Manhattan. It was at some Italian restaurant. I was like, oh, it's perfect time to try my first Manhattan. That was a few few years ago, but Uh, that's fitting. Yeah. But yeah, I'm using uh, some Woodford rye uh, distiller select with my Manhattan and now it obviously be a good time to mention and give thanks to some bottles that rolled in. Yes. Yes. We got, (laughs) we got some bottles that rolled in. Uh, first one was from none other than Jeremy Carlson, the world famous, world famous future guest, Jeremy Carlson. And he sent us, you can't see it, but I'm showing you, and I you can, can show me yours. I have, I have one in front of me. <laughs> uh, from Live Oak, which is a distillery in Jacksonville, I believe. And of course, Carlson gets into the details because this whiskey is, they subsonically use sound waves to uh, blend their oak chips with the whiskey. And that's how they infuse, I guess, this flavor. And of course, they use some sort of audio to make their whiskey. And that's why Carlson thought it was cool. And I guess that's why we got it. But I, I think it's cool. As you can see from the picture, um, yeah, maybe I'm we'll... saving just about a shot. <laughs> I have not opened Carlson my bottle. Out. I was a good boy. I, I yeah. told Jeremy I would wait until uh, we had him on to, to give it a sample. So Carlson, I do have enough in there for uh, our start of our conversation when we talk to you. <laughs> And then the other shout out goes to Dave Smyre from EAS. Oh, yeah. Um, he's always kind of fancy too. And he sent a Japanese whiskey, I believe pronounced IY. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on how heavy you use the accent. Yeah. yeah. Um, not trying to be racist here. This is not a racist pod. So I'll just <laughs> go with IY. There and you go. Dave, I've already pummeled the whole bottle. So. <laughs> it was that good. It was so, that good. um, you know, if, if we talk to you on a future episode of the pod, I'll have none unless you send me another bottle. So <laughs> that's just, that is, that's fun. 
that is just begging right there. I'm trying it to adjust to... my mic level, so if I sound funny, I'm... Uh, I will say, to... though, it has been nice because we haven't had, at least for the holiday break, I haven't had to purchase any bottles of whiskey, so that's been fun. Yes, we do appreciate that. We we have not pummeled anybody with advertising or nope. any interruptions. We've been doing this all out of our own pocket to produce and do all that, so uh, we we love to get packages in the mail. So Yeah. Yep. Um, it's definitely like Christmas when those show up. So thank you guys. And I'm just saying, if you want to send us a message on Messenger, I will gladly give you an address. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely very cool. And I like seeing, you know, I, obviously uh, David is a international man of mystery, but it's pretty cool to get the Japanese whiskey. So, oh, for sure. So, one of the questions that I had over the break, and I, I actually wrote this down from a previous job. But I just saw it on my toolbox because I had it written down on my little notepad. And the question is, when you're tuning a car, when you're perceiving center image in a one-seat tune, so driver's seat tune, when you are listening and sitting there to perceive center image, are you staring straight ahead like you're driving or are you staring at where you're perceiving center image, right? So are you staring at the center of the car? And the reason I, I ask this, hold on. Okay, the reason okay. I ask this is because every time I tune a car, I tend to get as many people in the car as possible. And upon doing this, I had one person on two different vehicles that I did. And this was the second vehicle that I did where I noticed there was a pattern. And it made me try and think because I always try and use that feedback to educate me on how I can do things better. And this person said both cars he'd listened to, the image was a, a hint to the left. Okay. And the other people listening to it all thought it was center. I thought it was center. And when I went back into it and listened to it after he was sitting there saying that, I was like, dude, it's it's like dead nut center. I Maybe it's him. Maybe it's me. I don't know. And then I realized that me, along with the other people that perceived it as center, our heads, when we were sitting there, are looking towards this, where the center channel would be, or the center of the soundstage inside the vehicle, which is center. Whereas he was just nuzzled back in the seat, looking straight ahead as he was driving. And obviously, I asked this and posed this question because... When we tune a car and we go through the EQ and EQ matches from left to right perfectly, right? Every every uh, frequency band is level from left to right. Our time alignment's correct. Once we then sit in the car, the final step of tuning is basically seeing what the reflections are doing inside the car because that's not what, or I should say when we're listening to it, our our brain is going to perceive it differently than the RTA, right? Because of how our makeup, our body is different than the microphone, we're going to perceive the reflections a little bit differently. And we're really going to see this in more or less the, 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 the tweeters. So generally what we do at this point, after we tune everything and it's EQ'd match left to right, we then go through and say, we're doing a three-way we'll attenuate, say, the mid-range, the mid-bass, and all the other speakers and just play the tweeters. And then we'll play something that we know is center. And then we'll 
sit there and say, okay, where do we hear this? Is it a little left? Is it a little right? Is it dead center? And then we'll go through the, the mid range and then the mid base and go through the rest of the speakers with the same idea, right? Is it center? Is it left? Is it right? And then we adjust the level to then compensate. And really, you're really only going to see this in the tweeters if you're doing a three-way. More times than not, the mid-range, the mid-base is all going to stay center from where it shows on, on the RTA. So again, in this case, this person kept saying it's left to center. And to make a long story short, I realize it's where the head is aimed when you're trying to perceive center, right? And obviously, you can use a, a mic array. There's a lot of different things that you can use to kind of get that average better. But at the same time, you're still going to perceive the reflections a little bit differently, depending on where the seat is, where your head is, if you're looking left, if you're looking right. Have you ever thought about this? I have never thought about which way I look. Right. I, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna move my chair. Uh, I would say that I, yeah, I I would say that if you if if you took looking straight forward and then you looked at the hood ornament, if there are hood ornaments anymore, yeah. I'm somewhere right in between, right? So okay. I'm not I'm not staring at the middle of the dashboard, but I'm not looking straight forward either when I'm critically listening. But mm -hmm. I, I think there's a couple of things there that may influence that too. One thing I've noticed is height. So mm -hmm. the the off-axis response of the tweeters is obviously very different. And if you, that's where you're most sensitive to that. So if you're leaning forward or you're moving back mm -hmm. or, you, or you're sitting tall or sitting down in the seat, that will shift that image around and it'll move it around for different people. And I've had cars were the guys that work with me, same type of thing. We listen to some of the cars together and they'll, I, I always ask them point, point where that voice is coming from. And it, when I'm sitting in the passenger seat, in a in a one mm -hmm. seat tune, like you're talking about, right. obviously the, the image isn't there in the passenger seat. So I always like to just kind of double check what I've done in that same mm -hmm. type of scenario. Yep, yep, yep. And I, I literally tell, tell them like point, point to where that voice is coming from. And that kind of helps, you know, validate and guide just like you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I do see that that based on how high somebody sits up and down in the car and um, yeah, and and uh, but I'm going to pay attention to that on on where their head is. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought too. it was strange because I then once I kind of had that epiphany, I got back in the car and looked straight. And sure enough, you know, without changing it, it was a little left. Yeah. And then I could adjust it to where he heard it center. And then. I then put my head center and sure enough, it was center. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that I don't think a lot of people think about. Yeah. I, I have not thought about that or put that into how I would dial a car in for a customer. I may, I, I'm going to play with that a little bit and then I'm going to experiment with some customers and, and have that talk with them or subconsciously maybe pre installation listening to music with the customer, maybe I'll pay attention to mm -hmm. how they put their head while we're demoing music before we do their install or their tune and maybe try to dial that into them. That's, that's an interesting way to try to be better at what we do. I like it. Yeah. And again, we're, we're getting into like the super technical because when, whenever I do a car, I try and get as many people in my shop as possible to listen to the car. And I'm just like, lay it on me. <laughs> like, 
be as critical as you want. Tell me, you know, the first question I always ask is like, what did you like the most? What did you like the least? What bugged you the most? What was awesome? Out of all the songs that I just play, what did you like the most? Because that's all like feedback that I can get when I start demoing it to the customer is like, okay, a lot of people loved this particular demo. Right. And, uh, you know, because some songs just like work so well. And the really thing that I love about this car is the resonance is like non-existent in a lot of songs. So when you listen to some songs like Billie Eilish, you know, she has a lot of really well-recorded music, but there's a lot of like destructive mid bass in her songs. Like it's very, very hard hitting, heavy. I mean, destructive. That's really the only way that I can describe it. Most systems, it there's resonance and it sounds destructive. Um, but on this car, it's like nothing. It's like I finally understood in my head how they recorded the song. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. Because on a lot of cars, you'll listen to it and you're like, what? Like, did they even listen to this back with like levels and because a lot of the times, you know, when you listen to that, the mid bass is just like so destructive. And how much so mid bass in that car was in the door? Yeah, C8's in the door. And how much work did you do in the doors? You know, obviously. Well, I didn't have to go back into the door to kind of like really adjust much where most cars, you know, for, for the way that I tune a car um compared to how other people tune cars i my mid bass starts to come flat at 400. so 400 hertz is when i start rolling flat to about one two five and then it'll take a small dip in that section but for the mid range at about 400 hertz i start going flat you know 315 is where it's starting to come down to flat to 400. And a lot of people will go flat well beyond that. But I think that kind of takes all the life and the realism out of the music. <laughs> the, the fun out of it. Yeah, you, you're you're slanting probably from 100 to 400. Yeah, I, um, I had a car, the, the car I was tuning today, where I was, as I think as you would say, putting the fun back in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was doing that, I was uncovering all sorts of resonances in the door. And unfortunately, like due to budget constraints, you know, there wasn't a ton of work done in the doors. It's always an interesting kind of from a system design standpoint is always an interesting problem to solve for when you're budgeting is how much would you rather have a a K2 in a door versus an Axis or a or a flax and have lots of work in deadening and resonance control but not have as much output and as mm-hmm. much detail or where where do you spend that money where's how do you make those decisions recently i've been selling three ways with an eight and just kind of selling that option rather than defaulting to a six mid tweet um i think there's just too many cars nowadays that are coming factory with eights in the front door so I think it's a great selling opportunity to be like, okay, your car comes with an eight. We really shouldn't do a six. You have the space. Um, it's easy enough to pull off. And anytime that I do an eight, I also try and like 
double the power or put an eight on its own amp or bridge it on a four channel to get maximum power to eights in the door and just trying my best. And, you know, obviously every car is going to have its, its point of resonance, right? Every, no matter what you do, more times than not, we can't really get the most out of the equipment that we're installing based on the car. You know what I mean? Every car is yeah. going to have its stopping point, right? A BMW, yeah. the Focal woofers that you put in a BMW or any aftermarket woofer that you're putting in a BMW, you're going to hit a point of resonance, which is the seatbelt tensioner six inches away from that woofer. And it's nothing that you can control, period. You either live with the resonance and have the output or you tune it to the point where you don't hit resonance and it's just it's a little it, le it leaves you wanting so much more it leaves you wanting to say okay let's just fucking make some new bottom door panels and do it correctly <laughs> so so you're saying three ways eights tons of power blah 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 mm -hmm. in my mind i hear that as that sounds like a minimum fifteen thousand dollar system yeah, I mean, right. that is going to be somewhere in the 10 to 15, yeah, 12 to 15. Yeah. I mean, you practically nailed it. Yeah, I mean, by the time you you are doing resonance control, that's yeah. is that our new term? Yeah. Resonance control in the yeah. door. It's not sound deadening, not sound damping. It's a uh, resonance control. I feel like, so what do you do if you're in a five to $8,000 budget range? Right. Like, do you just, yeah, then unfortunately the six, we're doing but, a six and then we're going to be doing, you know, hopefully more power. Um, cause I, dude, I, I think mid base is like so important to kind of transfer that sub up front. Yeah. I think having, having base anchored in the front of a car mm -hmm. is the, the most impressive and the most fun thing to listen to. And it's what adds so much realism. Um, there's a couple tracks I've been listening to lately. At some point we'll have to get into this like track right, sharing right, of, right. of what we're doing, but um, a couple tracks that have some really awesome stand-up bass. And when you can really hear the detail of every note on a stand-up bass, it's it's really cool to have that up front in the mm -hmm. car and, and sound realistic and be able to place that instrument on the soundstage. And having gobs of power and mm -hmm. a speaker with some excursion and some cone area and all mm -hmm. of those things in the front of the car. Um, and, and again, loading, mm -hmm. if you have a speaker location that loads, well, we were talking about the Jeep that you did and how mm -hmm. well the, the mid base is loaded in the front of that car. Um, late last year, early this year, we did that 850. I think I sent you pictures of that, you know, it had a four inch and a ported enclosure in the kick panel, but the kick panel loads extremely well. And we did a, a Focal uh, K-Series five and a quarter, and it has the most impressive mid base. And that's a loading, uh, you know, benefit in that car up front. And when everything's mounted solidly and, and you load into those footwells correctly, it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, but what's super entertaining is, you know, going back to the Tesla that we just did, even at a small, moderate volume, like it's, it's not even cranked, right? It's like, you've done plenty of Mos Moscone. Say if super loud on a Moscone is 35, right? The extent of the headroom is 35 on the controller. Say you're at like 15 or 13 and 
it is just as dynamic as when you turn it up to 30, like 32, right? The amount of mid bass and sub bass and it was just as fun at that lower volume as it was super dynamic. You know, the, the rate of things moving as far as hearing that sub bass, hearing the kick drum, the impact, it was still there at like 13. And that was one of the, you know, things that somebody else said today was like, dude, you know, at a super low volume, I don't even know if I'd really want to turn it up past this. Like, this is fun. And it wasn't even, not even close to loud. And how much, how much power was on the mid bass in that? So the mid bass was not even on anything special. So it was a five channel FPX amp, which channels one and two were the mid bass channels, three and four were the rear. The fifth channel was the sub. And then we had a four channel FPX, which is a class AB amp. They have like an SQ version, which is an AB uh, amp. And that ran the front mid range and tweeter. And how do you remember about? I don't. Power wise. I've never, I've never really used yeah. the amp before. It's the first time ever using those amps. Yeah. I like the, the eight though. That's a, that's a solid driver. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's two of... versions. There's an old version and a new version. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The old version, I just built uh, some speaker adapters for another person with a Tesla model three and he had the old version and they're like so much bigger. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it, it's funny because uh, a coworker was actually trying to do brackets for GM, which I, I have in CAD an eight inch GM bracket for the carbon illusion new version. And then he was, he printed them out and he was like, these don't fucking fit. And I'm like, well, that thing is like twice the size. <laughs> yeah. So what, uh, I have not done the new version yet. Uh, Aaron was telling me Aaron is, uh, yes, he's my Orca rep out here. Mm-hmm. Reps helper. I don't know. Rep, whatever. He's, he's my Orca guy out here. Um, he put him in his car. He was saying that with, I want to say it's like maybe a one inch adapter, it will fit into a six inch hole. So it's yeah, the, ba- it's the basket, the basket is extremely small versus the old basket is extremely large and yeah. wide. Um, and it's also the diameter is way smaller. Like if you look at the old version that like the flange on it is like, one and a half inches it's yeah it's like (laughs) who designed this that's that's always kind of weird because you know like the the shallow c series woofers have a large flange and then you go to the xl version it's got a really narrow flange it's right right the polar opposites strange but no dude it's those are super undervalued drivers the whole lineup they they always sound really really well comparatively to anything in its price point, right? Because in the same price point, you have like JLC7, you have Focal Kevlar, whatever other brands have, probably the, you know, Audio Frog GB stuff if you were to a la carte a three-way. But dude, I would put that up to most. And what it has above most is you can have a three-way with an eight versus the C7 is going to have a six, the Kevlar is going to have a six. I think Audio Frog just came out with an eight. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying that to eight's no joke. That eight will get down. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I guess that's kind of opens up a few interesting things too, is what other, if you use that eight, what other options do you have? Because obviously you can you can do like the C3, the C3 CX is an option. I'm t- the the um, perfect scenario for any installer is a C3 CX with the C8. I mean, yeah, it's just it's a- so, it's so beautiful because it's so tiny. If you're building pillars, <laughs> you can, you have the option really to put it on axis because the, the big, the big thing that you fall into when you're building pillars is absorbing depth of two speakers. You know what I mean? When you absorb depth of one speaker, you can easily do that in an A pillar. But now once you pair it with a tweeter, well, the tweeter, you want it to be on the same plane. So therefore you're not really absorbing the depth anymore in the pillar. Whereas with one driver, you can sync it back and have it on axis and not have the the pillar look absolutely stupid you know what i mean it can still look pretty organic i completely agree the the hard part is is uh, just depends on output and volume and for my customers that like more output and more volume i feel like the c3cx is a little limiting on power handling and output on the high end Um, we have a van we did that used the because of that reason we went with just regular c3s with the carbon eight and again it is more work to get them into the pillars and get them set back and aesthetically pleasing and and all of that it would have been much easier just throw the c3 cx in there i see a lot of use cases for that but c3 cx is so awesome because you have so many cars that have like factory middlers which are like the same size it's not a four it's a three um, so it's going to fit in most factory locations. Obviously you can run it active. I've never had a problem with output. I think you just have to have the correct crossover points because the tweeter gets crossed over pretty high. The tweeter is pretty tiny. Oh, yeah, things it's like 5,600. Yeah. And it's, it's not a, it's not a big deal in that scenario because you're crossing it to a three inch that plays up to, right. uh, you know, that, that three without the tweeter will play up pretty mm-hmm. darn high. But no, that's a that's a great setup, and it's a setup that's too easy to pitch all the time. Honestly, you know, I was even thinking today, like I pitch it all the time. I need to get out of a box <laughs> and need to start fooling with some other stuff. But it's just the convenience is awesome. That that happens though. I think that we all kind of get into those scenarios. Of where We find products that we like and we stick to them, and we stick to that. And you don't go outside of your comfort zone. I thought it was really funny. Um, uh, when I went on my job interview at Alpine, Jeff Fay, I don't know if you know Jeff Fay, mm-hmm. he's at Harmon and JBL and all that now, but he asked me a question that it kind of, it kind of surprised me. It wasn't, and, and I think this is interview or maybe it was after interview. I don't remember, but he asked me, why do you think JL audio sells so many woofers? And I thought about it for a second. And my response to him was because installers like to go home on time. And he looked at me perplexed. And I, like, obviously, I had a I had a story behind this because mm-hmm. I, I remember back in the day, you know, you go back to the, you know, kind of early 90s and a lot of woofers required ported enclosures. There weren't small box woofers. They didn't exist yet. So sealed box woofers, you needed large enclosures. And JL kind of was the first one that, they made like the W6 you could put in 
just the tiniest box you could fit around it and it would still play low frequencies mm -hmm. right it wouldn't choke the woofer off and it was one of the first woofers that that did that and did it well you know a slight trade-off in efficiency to do it but it always sounded good mm -hmm. and too many times guys would you know some customer come in oh i gotta have this you know rockford pro series woofer and blah 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 and it's like mm -hmm. well if you don't have the room for it and you don't build the right ported box it sounds terrible mm -hmm. and there's too many times where guys would build boxes and they'd get it done they spent all this time building a custom box and it wouldn't sound good mm -hmm. and you get to the point where it's like you know that if you take that JL woofer, you no can put a JL woofer in, in a napkin. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll sound The joke good. we always said was that you could literally just cut a hole in the box it came in and yeah. it would sound better than a lot of other woofers. Right. And it's it's kind of that same way. But I kind of feel like we take that approach still with certain system designs and and kind of crutch ourselves. And it's really tough from a standpoint, I don't know if the people listening like realize how many system designs you and I put together and, mm -hmm. and how many combinations and just years of experience. We're trying to mesh these systems together that work well and the components work well. And as much as we want to try every new product that comes out, we also want to make sure that we're the expectations the of the client are met. Yeah. 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 You yeah, don't want to no, just take a chance on something that you just have no idea how right. it's going to turn out. And maybe it's not as good as what you've done in the past. And, you know, kind of like your analogy a few pods ago about the, the painter using his paint, being the right. perfect expert of shooting that paint. And no matter, you could give him whatever the best competition of paint that's out there. And he'd probably spray it better the first time as far as what he's been using. He'll spray it better than whatever the best that's out there. You know what I mean? Just because he knows it. And the big analogy that I always give um, when clients ask about like using different product and stuff that I don't typically use. And, you know, I just say, you know, it comes down to this, which is every company kind of has its own niche of where they spend their R&D money. Right. I feel like at this point with Alpine, it's mainly restyle. I feel like that's where a majority of their focus is. And that's where you find the value in what they're producing at this very moment in 2020. When you look not at necessarily what they're working on for the future. Exactly. When you're looking at JL, they make great subwoofers like we just talked about. Like that's their niche. That's where their money goes is to try and figure out how to build a woofer that's going to stand the test of time that any idiot can throw in a car and it's still gonna sound good, right? Because the big thing that we always hear as installers is I don't like Focal because I had X in my car and it sounded like shit. Oh yeah, or, you know what or I mean? just the like, I get so many customers when when we when Focal comes up that there's this stigma that they have these like obnoxious tweeters and it's like, yeah, done wrong. Yeah. You can, you can do some harm. You can, you can have. Yeah. And today sound. there's a thing called EQ. So it really doesn't matter what speaker <laughs> that you put in, you can kind of combat its negative properties. But, and that brings me to Focal, which is Focal's R&D has been focused on building the world's best sounding speaker. And you look no further than their home line and any idiot can understand that that R&D trickles down to the car side. So what they learned to build the Grand Utopia speakers, all the information that they learned, 
trickles down into their their access, their integration, all of their cheap stuff, right? The right. stuff that and everyone thinks, well, Focal is just this high-end brand. They're really expensive, but what they don't realize is they have speakers that compete with JLC1 or Alpine Type S. I mean, they have entry-level stuff just like everyone else at the same competitive price points. And that R&D is going to trickle down to all of those competitive price points. Right. That's like when we had Steve Brown on and we were talking a little bit about uh, F1 status and what that did for Alpine. And, and it's that same type of mentality that it's let's let's take the price constraints out of things. Like mm -hmm. if we just wanted to do this right, what would it take? And use that as a learning experience so that it does trickle down to all the other products. So it's the same type of thing with Vocal. And yeah. And you also you also want a company that doesn't want to stay stagnant. Because even though they had Utopia B for like 15 years, I don't know, they had it for a long time and it was unchanged. But after the 15 years were up just a few years ago, in my opinion, it was still one of the best sounding set of speakers available for purchase in car audio. And right. they didn't necessarily have to say, hey, let's come up with a new Utopia. Like, let's build something better than this. But they did. And that's important because it's letting you know that there's a brand out there that you're installing that wants to stay ahead of all of the competition. And again, it comes down to R&D and where certain companies are spending money. And it's hard to get behind certain brands that they spend money on everything, right? Evenly, or they spend money directly on one one piece, right? There's a lot of great brands out there that we use just for certain pieces. Well, that's kind of where they're spending their R&D money, right. which is what's making it superior to everything else. A, a long time ago, I worked for a, uh, for a short period of time. I worked for a company that manufactured a lot of inexpensive car audio stuff. And a lot of it was designed before I was there. And it was really interesting as I went through and was test, you know, testing products and, and kind of benchmarking where all the different products were and they made a lot of stuff. There were certain products that they got really lucky on, right? Like just the, the great combination of things. It, there was one specific woofer that I used to really like and, you know, we'll just I'll put a retail price on it, but it would be like a $69 10 inch woofer. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, sounded good it was it was just like the magic combination of stuff the the 12 inch version the 15 inch version the 8 inch version all sucked the 110 inch worked really well it was just like the, the magic combination so the the hard part is trying to try out products and find value in those things mm -hmm. and, and you know trying to benchmark stuff against each other it, it does become difficult when you're you know you don't want to use customers time or money to yeah and that's the other part of it is kind of like you just alluded to it's tough because when i feel like a client comes to me and i have to build a system for them already i feel like with most people because most i i feel like most clients that i've had all the people say hey i've been following you on youtube for a few years i've been following you on instagram for a few years so they're already familiar with what I've done. They're already familiar with like the type of work that I put out. So there's already a massive expectation that anything that I do better fucking blow them away. Right? So it's very tough to take a leap of faith on stuff that 
you hadn't tried out yet and you're kind of using this person as a guinea pig to see if you like it or not. Right. I feel like that's very unfair. And when I know that I can sell them the same combination of stuff that I've, obviously every car is going to have different challenges, which is going to make you go certain directions. But at the end of the day, there's still umbrellas of, of product design that you, you, that you take from, and you know that at the end of the build, it's going to fucking sound amazing. And the person is definitely going to be blown away. And I just never want to find myself in that scenario where I'm like, oh, dude, I should have just sold them like <laughs> what I knew. Yeah. So I, I bring this up a, a lot that I am I'm no golfer. I believe I believe you and I may have. Uh, We've been a top golf a before. Top golf, yeah. Right. I, I am You're no not golfer. Great. You know no. that <laughs> I'm not I'm not good. I'm not I'm. I'm terrible is what it is. But so I, I bring up the analogy to, to friends and customers sometimes that the, the, the joke always goes that, you know, you could go get me custom fit for a set of golf clubs. What's a, what's a custom fit set of golf clubs go for? Probably irons, maybe 15 hunch. Okay. So, so you could go get me custom fit for the best golf clubs in the world. Right. And then we could go on our way to the golf course. Um, with Tiger Woods in the backseat. I know that's probably not the most relevant <laughs> golf reference anymore, but Tiger Woods in the backseat. We could swing through Target and go pick up a little kid's set of golf clubs. And we would go to the golf course and he would proceed to kick my ass. Mm -hmm. Right? So in the scenario where a great golfer with crappy clubs is always better mm -hmm. than a crappy golfer with great clubs. Oh, of course. Right. So, so somewhere there is a line, right? Like where do we draw that line? Can you imagine uh, how good we could make a car with like C1s, just a, like a, a jail tweak? <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. Like to me, there, there is a certain amount of fun in trying to find that least expensive combination mm -hmm. that becomes impressive. And and at what point does a crappy set of Utopia M's, you know, and Pro Series Moscone amps and aerospace processors and blah, blah, blah in the wrong hands? Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. Like we see a lot of bad installs out here in California. I don't, I feel like you, but here's the problem. You, you and don't me, have to rework a bunch you of and stuff. me, yeah, you and me respectively have to compare ourselves to ourselves. So you know what you can do with product X and product Y. But at the end of the day, the, the big analogy that I always make to clients when it comes to like entry level type systems is it costs the same amount of money in, in most cases to install AMP A versus AMP B, right? AMP right. A being $2,000 and AMP B being $300, right? right. Yep. So when you look at that and you look at the same thing with speakers, you're getting the least, mathematically, you're getting the least return on your investment by doing the entry level system. Right. There's no argument with that. Right. And 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 buying the better speaker and not buying the right baffle, the right you know the right mount, mm -hmm. the right installation, the right amount of you know resonance control. If like, your entry level nature. system, let's just say is $3500, right? Okay. For like bare bones. Okay. Somehow everything you get in there is $3500. 
Off and the top somehow, of your head, what's, what's your average labor percentage? Right. If let's say you're doing a thirty-five hundred dollars system, is that two grand in product and fifteen hundred in install? Is that fifteen hundred? Yeah, product I mean, two grand in install. You're talking about Ish. a, a thirty-five hundred dollars install. All has to be done easily within a day for it to even be profitable. So that means it's at least nine hundred and fifty, a thousand dollars in labor. Okay. So that means you have twenty-five hundred in product all done in one day. Okay. I'm just I'm keeping that so that we can mm -hmm. build off it later. Sorry no. to interrupt. <laughs> Obviously, I kind of let every potential buyer know if they were in at a $3,500 budget and somehow you can figure out how to save an extra $1,500, now it's that $1,500 can go to a dramatically better set of speakers, a dramatically better amp, and it's going to give you a totally drastic outcome with just that little investment. Yeah, I, I always... To me, I feel that every, like literally starting it at $2,000, every $500. Yeah. When you start out that low, literally, yeah, any small amount of money can help because at that amount of money, you're already like, you know, and I tell most people at that $3,000 mark, it's almost in most modern cars, it's almost impossible to address the whole car correctly for that amount of money. And what I'm going to tell you up front is I'm the person telling you, listen, I understand you have a $3,000 budget. I'm respectfully telling you, you kind of have to save a little bit more money for you to sit in the car when you're done and be happy you spent that amount of money on your car. Because at that point, you're getting a very, very minute return on your investment. And for me, I don't really want to be a part of that because I want to deliver the execution, the excitement, and for you to be like, man, I love this. So right. the, the difference with me versus the shop down the street is you tell the shop down the street the same thing, you got $3,000 to spend. They're going to say, guess what? I got a $3,000 solution for you, right? Yep. And they'll spend exactly $3,000 and figure out what that is and then send you on your way. Right. But and, I, and, I'm worried about your happiness and why you're even doing this. Right. So I'm going to let you up, up front know that it, it's probably going to take somewhere around here. But at the end of the day, I know you're going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. The difference, the difference that I can see in that is some of the stuff like you, I always bring up that we do a lot of Tundra stuff, right? And we have certain stuff that we've pre-designed and, and is ready to go. Like we have woofer boxes pre-built that go into systems in those tundras that are in this price range some of them are even a little less and they get amazing results but that's mm -hmm. because we've spent the r d time it's exactly. not like yeah. you're not one-offing every single thing and if we had to do that i couldn't get the sound that i get in those trucks in another car for anywhere near that kind of money right, right. Like we're, we're getting we're getting what would take six grand in most cars in a in a car for 30 yeah you just said it's all about that r d time and developing yeah. something that's already been done and i'll get people that'll contact me about like the excursion console that i built and they'll send emails and they think it's like some pre-made solution for 800 bucks right. and right. i'm like dude this was like an eight thousand dollar console because it was all built from scratch to fit that client's all his gear perfectly the way that he wanted it for his budget right if you want a $800 console, 
it's going to look like a box with some circles in it. You know what I mean? What you see online when you search center console, um, you know, aftermarket. So it's tough because, I mean, I even did a set of like speaker pods in a Can-Am that turned out really cool. I still have like the molds, but there's not like, it's not like a company has pulled actually, it's not like I purchased actual molds to where I can recreate these pods, um, which obviously would then drive the cost way down. But if I had to make them one off again, it would be thousands of dollars again, because that's just, that is what it is. Yep. It's a lot of time. And again, that's, that's one of the tough parts with doing high-end audio is budgeting that time. And we see a lot of really nasty installs. And when we install an amplifier, you know, there's, once we've committed to putting amplifiers in a car, I, I kind of feel like we end up dedicating at least eight hours to doing an amplifier install correctly. By the time we're spending mm-hmm. time at the battery and mounting fuse holders or circuit breakers. Which not to cut it, you off, but the amplifier yeah. in the car audio community like the standard labor rate is so far off from where it should be. Well, I, I think that it's, you know, what, what is, what's your vision of a amplifier install? I remember when I worked in Virginia for a shop and this is Northern Virginia. This is the equivalent of California. Well, it's, that's kind of hard to say. Cause I think a lot of California undervalues everything just to compete there's, with other shops. Yeah, there's a lot. Right? Of so all the money's just driven down as far as yep. everything. But you're talking about Loudoun County, Virginia, which is one of the wealthiest counties in America, but an amp install. And of course it changed over time, but I think in like 08, it might've been like 150, which at the end of the day, if it takes you three hours and most amps are going to take maybe about three hours, maybe a little bit longer if you're actually doing it correctly and not flying through and you know you're actually paying attention to where the wires are being routed and all that kind of stuff that's fifty dollars an hour for the shop not even taking into account what you're paying the tech so you're making beans i I remember when i started i think uh amplifier install rate was like 59 that that's my point yeah how is anyone doing that and making money well it's It's, again I think is what's happening is you you have you know some minimum wage you, you, for somebody that can do an amp install for a hundred bucks. I don't even say fifty bucks, or, or that's possible, right? or that's possible in twenty twenty. <laughs> well, but you're talking the scenario where the, those are the horror story scenarios where you you've got some minimum wage person that's unskilled that's you know who knows how big a hole they're putting through to run a power wire through the, through a, a either an existing grommet or drilling a hole. And that's when you see, and the, that's the point water and stuff. Dude, it's and, not only the worst paying, but it's the most risk for any right. job because oh, you're pulling yeah. the radio, you're running a wire through the firewall, which most idiots are putting holes in brake boosters or just severing 13 wires at the right, grommet. Going through the main harness and, and jamming a screwdriver. Through. And then on top of that, not only are more times than not, you're pulling signal at the factory amp, which would be in the back or under a seat or behind the radio. But because of that, you're also taking all of the interior out for the most right. part, right? 
more times than not, you're removing a seat, you're removing at least the door sill, well, the I don't pillar. Think, I don't think the guys that are doing it for that price are. You know, they're they're tucking wires everywhere. They're not. But still, you know, I'm they're saying, not pulling hold on, panels hold on, unless they hold have on. to. Listen, listen. When I worked at the shop, I didn't do it that way, right? But the labor rate was still $150. Maybe it jumped to like $200 at some point. But still, right. like when you do the math as a shop, if you are like a business person and you kind of try and figure out where the money is going and the amount of time, that is the most undervalued install like oh, yeah. number out of well, anything in our industry. That's what I'm saying. That's that becomes really difficult for for us when we're doing quotes and and you know if we're building some sort of bracketry and using threaded inserts to to mount amplifiers and we're doing it at a high level. I mean, it's a single amplifier is somewhere in the six to eight hour range. Yeah. Like, and I think the only way that you can realistically break it down to a client is you're projecting the amount of time for like the power wire run, you know, like the power run and the fuse holder for tuning the amp for the amp rack. If it's going to be associated with anything that you physically have to create to put it in the car, right. you know, cause you know, you and I, we're not bolting it to a fucking backseat anymore. We're building a panel that's going to either bolt behind a factory panel. It's going to be in place of the factory amplifier. We're doing something that it's actually going to be secured to a car and not just like chilling on a back seat or something like that. So obviously there's time in that. There's material in that. And people just don't. And here's the other thing. We're talking about like just doing the amp install. I would love to know for the people out there, you know, you see like uh, Dean, five star. I would love to have him on on an episode and ask him, what is he charging for an amp install? Because, you know, there's a, there's a few installers out there that are really into like the super clean wiring where there's a zip tie every three inches apart. Right. There's no knock on it, right? If you're getting paid for it, that's awesome because I get paid to do, you know, custom stuff, right? It's the same equivalent. If you get paid to do really beautiful wiring and all that kind of stuff, that's one thing and it's fine. But is that a regular amp install? Is that something where somebody's paying for you to do that? Because I'm just looking at it from a business perspective to where, is that a $300 amp install? Is that a $500 amp install? Are you charging per hour to actually do all that stuff? Because if not, it's just devaluing the entire industry by saying that's a normal amp install for $300. Because you and I both know there's many installers out there that have built ridiculous stuff for nothing just to take the job. Yeah, I saw somebody post something the other day that was like, they're like, I don't know, I feel like uh, this might not have been a good idea. And they were like paneling out a trunk and a box and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, the labor bill is like 1200 bucks. And I'm like, who, how? How? How do you do high level? Like, I mean, the answer is you don't. You don't do high level finish work and all mm-hmm. of that. Like, yeah, there's just no way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, without saying any names, but there was, there was a really talented installer in our industry. And you might connect the dots, you might not. Really talented installer in our industry who was like the epitome of this person right? Did a lot of badass builds, really cool stuff, but 
literally made no money on it, right? So he would do, I, I remember he did a like a Fox body, maybe this is being too, too descriptive, but he did a <laughs> fo- Fox body Mustang, beautiful build, right? but like with product and the install. And this is like a whole car build, like trunk build that was beautiful, door panels that were beautiful. Yeah, I already and, know who you're talking about. Yeah, the full build was like, when I asked him, it was like 1600 bucks and that's with product. And I'm like, well, how do you even connect the dots? Like, is this, are you doing this as a hobby? Or are you doing this as a job? Because if you're doing this in your yeah. garage and you're doing it on the weekends when you have time because you love it, that's one thing, right? And you're making yeah. that. That's one thing. But if you're doing this as a job, if you just do the plain math, it doesn't add up. And that's kind of what I say to, you know, the clients who want like an excursion console. And I'm like, okay, let's do basic math here. Most shops are going to charge somewhere around, say, 90 to $110 an hour, just the average shop. So when you talk about you want a $800 console or a $1,500 console, that means from start to finish, I need to at least get this done in a day. And that leaves me a couple hundred dollars of materials that we're going to use to build the console. Right? Are you following me? That's not possible. (laughs) So I cannot build you a console for X because we'd be out of business. It just, I can't. Right. It doesn't support uh, insurance and overhead and and the electric bill. And yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up for for a business. Again, I've done plenty of stuff through the years for friends and buddies and stuff that I wanted to do that, you know. I might've been in a different financial position that made it easier to, to do some of that stuff along the way. And, um, yeah, I've been there. I've been there and not charged enough. That's for sure. And I'm sure there's plenty of people like the person you're talking about that, you know, it became obvious to them also that that's not a. Right. And then, and then they, and then they basically post about not being able to make enough money to kind of support what they do. And you're just like, dude, like you're talented. Yeah, and and that's that one was pretty tough to to see, but the the hard part with that too though is that some of those some of those guys and a lot of guys I know have done stuff because they wanted to do it, right? Not mm-hmm. because of the money, but they wanted to either you know it's the same same thing like us loading up and going to Mobile Solutions to yeah. to do stuff. We're 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 doing that because we want to, right? Because we're we're getting something out of it that's more than just the, the yeah well i think like you know just kind of speak on that there's two reasons for that and one is obviously to kind of like hang out with each other and just build something cool because we're friends and that's a rare scenario but then there's also like i i'm i think i'm very good with kind of like checking myself and going back in time to when like i didn't know much and I looked at the Steve Browns, kind of like how we just talked about the other podcast about how much I got from him, right. just seeing him work and fish work in person and like how that kind of drove my whole career. Like that's what, that was the moment when I'm like, fuck yes, I want to do this. Right. And there's people coming to these places and you don't know if it's their first time ever being in this scenario, right? I think we can... It's easy to take it for granted because we're there so much, but for some people, they're just getting there and this is their first time interacting with this group 
And for me, I kind of told you in my episode about like my history, it was like three years until I won installer of the year. The three years before that, I didn't know one person in the industry, like outside of my demographic. I didn't even know like the Facebook world, the car audio community, any of this really existed. And it took for like going through that whole process to see other people work and see what else is out there for me to like push myself to be better because I'm like, shit, everyone else is building badass shit. I need to be better because I'm not there. And that's what pushed me. And there's people actively like me in that scenario where I hadn't gone out yet. These people are interacting with us for the first time and trying to see and get this impression. And we can based on how we interact with them, we can really drive them and get them excited and get them committed to being like way better. And if there's enough people that are way better than they were before, then it's great for the entire industry because there's a lot of people out there that continue to like do car after car after car and people move and go to different shops. And there's also plenty of people who have spent a lot of money and gotten burned and they're just like, fuck car audio. I'm just going to stick with my factory system from now on. So obviously we want the community to keep rising rather than declining because it's obviously it's our livelihood. Yeah. And I think that it, it is really tough when, sorry, that was a long like, rant. No, no, all, all good. I, I think that there are a lot of customers, a lot of people, enthusiasts, people that want systems in their cars, people that have had systems in their cars that went through a period, I would say, I'm trying to put a time frame to it. I would say late, I'd say maybe from like 2005 is when cars started getting a little more difficult to inter interface and integrate with. That's kind of when like all CAN bus started to become yeah. kind of prevalent. Yeah. And I feel like the, the cost to to upgrade radios and systems in those cars and the complexity was well above what the installer base was ready for and kind of the training level that the installers had the average installer the the best buy guys the you know back then was it was good guys still around i don't know like that the, that average car audio guy to be honest i would just to kind of like set it straight for any Best Buy guys listening. I would almost say that goes more for like the mom pop shops because I think Best Buy actually had some sort of basic level of education that they promoted. Yeah, yeah. So no, I would say did. a lot of the Best Buy guys were probably more of the educated crowd of car audio. <laughs> well, they, they did surprise you. Yeah, they, they had a pretty consistent business and, and got to see a wide range of cars. I mean, again, I... I an ex circuit city employee, right? Like yeah, I, I did learn a lot while I was there. And so I think that that kind of, Hey, should I, we get, should we get road shop tattoos? Oh gosh, no. Oh gosh, no. No. If you get one small somewhere, I'll get, no, I'll maybe if somebody has a, stuff. has a red road shop t-shirt or uh, the, the polos, remember the road yeah, shop polos? I, I wish I like if somebody one. has us, maybe we'll wear those to a mobile solutions event or something at some time in the future. It'd be silly. Yeah. Um, so it, what I was trying to get to is that, that those that kind of era, that 05 ish, uh, the cars get more difficult. There's a lot of bad experiences that happened in that kind of 10 year period that put a lot of people off, whether whether they went to put a radio in a car and they suddenly found out that the interface device and the dash kit was going to cost two times what the actual radio right. cost. Yeah, because right? 
that's the biggest thing with purchasing is like when you have that unexpected number and you're just like, I'm not interested anymore. Here's a perfect right. example, especially in 2020. If, if you're trying to build a home gym, right? And you're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to buy a ton of like kettlebells, right? Give me a kettlebell in every size. <laughs> right. And then you look at the shipping. Right. And it's like two times as much as the actual kettlebells cost. You're just like, you know what? Not interested in kettlebells anymore. Right. Right. It seems like such a good deal. So, so a lot of those people got turned off. A lot of them went to shops that either got in over their head or weren't understanding the architecture of the system they were interfacing with. They, they went to these shops that used to be able to pull out a tape deck and put in a CD player and put in some better speakers and make a significant difference. And they went into these cars that had a factory amplifier that had delays and EQ and crossover points. And they started interfacing and they made they may have made the car sound louder, but they didn't make it sound any better. Right. They made it sound worse. And people instantly get turned off by that. Like that's that's a terrible experience. Like if you spend money and you your expectations aren't met, I don't care whether that's a thousand dollars, you could you imagine? And I'm not sure if you have any kind of a yard where you're at in California, just because yeah. I know a lot of people in California just like they have small yards or whatever. But, yeah, we have small yards. Okay. Imagine if you paid somebody to come like make your grass look silly with like no weeds. Right. You know what I mean? Like they just maintain your yard, make it look like a golf course grass. And then a couple weeks later, it just looked awful. Like you're like, right. seems like there's more weeds than when <laughs> we started. Right. The grass is kind of brown. Why is it brown? Right. Like instantly, you're just like, this is bad. Yeah. This is not good. We shouldn't be doing this. And that's like the analogy with car, car audio people taking a dive and going to somebody who's just clearly not educated. And I think that's why people like you and I are so rare is like, you have to do your education diligence outside of your normal job, right? If right, you want to stay on top of stuff, like your work doesn't stop. You need to keep trying to learn and understand and stay ahead of the curve and self-educate to stay up on everything that's out there. Cause so many things are changing so quickly. Yeah. And, and a lot of that education does not happen during the nine to five. That's for sure. Yeah. And kind of, I, I think kind of like my whole career has been based on trying to be the master of the entire car. Right. I told you I went to UTI because like, Obviously, I know I'm not going to be a mechanic, even though I was a mechanic for a small amount of time, but that was not my goal to be a mechanic. My goal was to understand the entire vehicle because it's not, I don't think it's very wise to be an installer and not really understand how a thermostat in a car works. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Just simple things like that. Right. Like the wax melts and that's what opens the thing and that's when the the coolant comes out, right? If, if you don't know that and you're an installer, I feel like there's some sort of disadvantage because you just need to know way more stuff about a car than what you're doing on the electronic side. Well, yeah, right? and that happens, that happens in multiple realms. I mean, even taking just the car audio side of it, there's so many, like I, I see so many great fabricators now 
right? Like I feel like the movement in the last 10 years has been, that's what's kind of kept the spark going for the guys that are installing is the fabrication side of it. And, you know, the mobile solutions Z type stuff and the learning to fabricate better, but the audio side of it and the sound quality side of it and the electronic side of it, mm-hmm. like in the number That's why of all this that, exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why it's important. And yeah, but again, like it's, you're still, we don't see as many well-rounded installers as we should. And part of like, I mean, obviously you want installer of the year. A lot of times um, I feel like the guys that compete for that, there's a lot of guys that compete solely on their ability to fabricate. Right. And yet that doesn't, that doesn't speak to the whole thing. Right. And just kind of like your analogy right there about most fabricators, I felt like I had, that stigma. I remember I was at that knowledge fest one year talking to Ray West and I had never seen that guy smile so hard. than when me and him just started getting into like, just really minutia, technical, like relays, data, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's, it just impressed the shit out of him because I think he just saw me as a fabricator. And, you know, I'm breaking down like a, a Cadillac uh, XLR data system on how to bypass it and keep everything. It, like I have a YouTube video on that car. Dude, I get so many cars on that call, on that car every single day based on people trying to figure out how to like either replace the amp with an aftermarket amp and keep everything intact things like that because they don't make a dash kit for it or they don't make a a wiring harness for it there's no pack harness on an xlr there's none of that so i mean technically you can't replace the radio unless you know how to keep all the data intact on the car right so to figure that out you just go to pro demand you look at the wiring schematic and you try and kind of like engineer how all this was put together to make it work. And then you put your resistors in line where you need to, you need to have the data in and outs retaining where they're at. So now you can replace the radio, keep the factory equipment intact, and now everything still continues to work. I feel like I did a lot of that in Virginia because we had a lot of like really random cars that there really weren't solutions for, but people were asking for stuff. So we were forced to like look at pro demand and trace things out and find stuff how how excited are you about doing that type of stuff today or would you rather just stick to the it's still fun well i like my schedule today to be predictable whereas that's not predictable but at the end of the day if you're charging for your time i don't have a problem with it kind of just give that caveat up front like i'm not sure if we can find a solution but obviously we have to charge you for the time and i think if anyone can figure it out. I think I would be able to figure it out. And I'd probably be very confident in saying that not many people would be able to figure out if I can't, um, just to kind of give them kind of some solace in taking a chance to, to even go down this road. Yeah. Wow. This is the unintentional podcast. Number two. (laughs) Yep. But this is the official unintentional podcast. Number two. We, uh, yeah. Yeah. We were supposed to have a guest on tonight. But Let's I don't call know. it a scheduling conflict. Yeah, scheduling conflict. So we just hopped on to try and 
I guess, see if the guests would come on, didn't come on. Therefore, we just started chatting and that's why it started so abruptly. Yeah. I don't even know how we started it off, but um, it was super abrupt, but it turned into uh, a decent conversation. So, so how, how, let's recap this. Um, it's really hard to put amplifiers in correctly. Super hard. <laughs> Especially you really, nowadays. You never really answered my question. What was your question? I never formulated the question very well, which is probably, probably something to do with why you didn't answer it. Um, remember at some point we were talking about this mystical $3,500 system? Yeah. Right? And you had uh, $1,000 in labor and $2,500 in gear. Mm-hmm. And so let's just say that you let's say that you spend... You're doing a five-channel amp. Fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Okay. Of You're your doing twenty five hundred dollar equipment uh-huh. is amp and interface, right? Like amp interface woofer, right? So we have a thousand dollars left over to put speakers in the car, right? This is not counting your thousand dollars labor that you got to get done in a day. Mm-hmm. We have a thousand dollars for speakers and sound deadening, right? We have fifteen hundred dollars for woofer, amp, wiring, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Does that sound reasonable? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like a system. <laughs> so out of that $1,000, do you put front and rear speakers or do you just put front speakers in and buy them? Abs- absolutely just do fronts. I do fronts right now on high-end systems. Okay. So so now we have $1,000 to do the front and we, we need um, sound deadening materials, resonance control, and speakers. Out of $1,000 that's left to do that, that I assume two-way setup in the front. Right. Mm-hmm. Two way passive. I would yeah. assume. Yeah. Because well, you're doing I mean, just you're doing just a five channel. Yeah, but it, but a five channel fifteen fifteen hundred bucks, you might be able to do something if if you got to get a woofer and a five channel amp for fifteen hundred bucks and wiring, you might be able to get something that has processing built in. You're kind of that borderline of a eh, eh. but then you could go you could buy amp in the front, have delays. That'd definitely be something I'd push for. Uh, but okay, so you got a thousand dollars through the doors. How much of that do you spend on sound deadening, and how much of that do you spend on the speakers? Well, I would assume any speaker that you're going to put in there isn't really going to be able to push very hard to where it would create a ton of resonance. That's just my quick lean. Gotcha. Like I think if you're doing like a, I don't know, Type R, and I, I'm sorry, Alpine. Like, don't take offense to that Alpine. I'm just. That's the first speaker that is like, I would say affordable, right? In that two ninety nine range for a set of components. Is that are they that cheap? I think so. They should be. Yeah, two ninety nine. Yeah. JLC two would be its competitor. Um, right. And we're talking something that you're putting a, a Focal. On. Yeah, Focal integration would be the competitor for Focal. So any one of those set of speakers. But we have a th- we have a thousand dollars for speakers. You can definitely go a step above that. I feel like I would try and figure out how, well, because we need to power a sub. Well, that's what I'm saying. If, you, if we had $1,500 to do like a five channel. You know, they sub, really need a six channel with a sub. Six channel. They need a, a seven sub, channel. Like, like a yeah. seven channel. Yeah, yeah. I, I do the eight channel Moscone all the time. So the eight channel Moscone, the 90.8, we do, it, it is one of my favorite system builder amps. And the reason I say that is you have eight channels and you have DSP built in. Okay, you can put it in a six channel DSP mode and get channel seven and eight to be an output to a woofer to it to a secondary amp. Okay, right? yeah. So that's that's my point. We need 
a seven channel amp, right? Six channels, full range, seven channel is a mono silly output with 500 watts. Yeah, but here, so here's the hard part. And, and this is my, my gripe with five channel amps in general. Wow, we just we just restarted a whole <laughs> yeah. other topic. I'm going to go off on. Here's my gripe with with five channel amps is that uh, one of the amps I do like uh, Arc XDI 1100.5, right? It's 150 watts, 125 or 150. I think it's 150 by four, and it's 500 watts on the sub channel. If you've got 150 watts on your mid bases up front, right? They're going to move. 500 watts isn't enough on the base. Yeah, it's it's never quite the way I'd want it. Um, and then you have other scenarios where you have like, especially watts. especially that much power on a very efficient entry level type speaker. You know what I mean? Because yeah, no, those are meant enough. to move on deck power. So, you know, they're yeah. definitely going to respond on that much power. Okay, so I'm going back to the Moscone so I can finish my rant on that. And then we'll okay. get back into five, five, six. Channels. So that Moscone is eight channels. So you have you have 90. If we take that amp, we cut it. But you've blown your budget. You said a thousand bucks. No, no, no. I'm not saying in this. I'm not saying okay, in this scenario. Okay, I'm just telling okay. you that the amp you asked. I, for the, yeah, the I was thinking. I was thinking within this scenario. Yeah. So, so you had said seven channels. So you take that amp and it's. I'm going to cut it in half so it's two four channels. Okay. So we start a system and we do ninety by two on a pair of tweeters, and we do ninety by two on a set of mid bases in the front. Now, if we can get a 2 ohm mid bass, whether that's a KX2 or we use a Stevens Audio 2 ohm mid bass a lot, right? Now we, we're up over 100 watts. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm thinking in my head right now how many people are just like, fuck. Uh, that's why I pay these guys because like we're just so nerding out right now. <laughs> Come on. It's not, this isn't, this isn't like too crazy tech. I don't know. I feel like some people are probably like, yeah, that's why I just don't worry about the details and. Well, yeah, Just I mean, that's how to handle it. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, and that's, that's what we're here for, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to just make sure that I get this. I'm going to pull it up while we're, uh, while we're talking here. Oh, and of course they don't have the specs to the new version, but we'll get close. They still have the 60.8 on the website. There's a new version. It's 90, 90.8. So when it's bridged, it is. I'm going to say it's 200 watts bridge. So, so now we have, we have 90 by two on the tweeters. Um, we load it to two ohms. We get a little more power out of it. We'll call it 125 by two on the mid bases, which is good. Right. And now we have channels five, six and seven and eight that we can bridge and get, I think it's about 240 or 250 by two. Right. So now we have, enough to power a woofer and a ported enclosure with a lot of output we have enough to power uh you know a, a lower power pair of 10s or 12s and a sealed box like there's there's some options there right and now we have a solid system it's all in one package it's the dsp and the amp together we're not running a bunch of extra rcas um, the whole thing will run off of four gauge power input. Like we, we have a lot of positives going for us. The amp is expensive. It's not, it's not a cheap amp, but it's class AB power mm -hmm. all the way through. Mm -hmm. Right. And the reason I say we consider that like the system builder amp is because it's a great starting point. You've made 
no compromises. There's the, would we rather have a, a aerospace processor and a pro series amp? Yes. But for the money you, that amp retails for about the price of an eight to 12 aerospace. Right now for and the same have, price point, do you like that amp more? Or do you like the JLVXI? I like that amp because it's AB. Yeah. It's AB. It's, it's power. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's it right there. And, and not that, I don't know if we've, if we had this, we'll save AB versus class D amp for another, mm-hmm. for another day. But, um, I definitely like that over the VXI. See, with I've the, done a ton of VXI. With the VXI, I, I do like the VXI. I think that the reason I kind of like it so much, it's not even really based on the amp and its capabilities. It's more on just how smooth the controller is with changing presets. And any card that I do, I'm typically not doing just like the radio preset. Right. Just because I see so much, so much loss value in spending money to change a system. And that's the only preset you're working with. And again, to go right. back to analogies, you buy a 4K TV and you're just gonna run 720p through it. Right. I mean, it's why spend money on a nice TV if you're just gonna run 720p through it? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If I'm, if I'm gonna do something, even if somebody says like, hey, I don't have money for a high-res player or an AMAS or something like that, I'll at least put in the analog input and tune the preset. That way, when we demo the car, you can hear your phone through your radio, whatever you play it with on Pandora, you can evaluate it. And then I can play my media on my player through the analog input. And it sounds like a totally different audio system. Right. And that's where you instantly see the value. That's instantly where you see the 4K on your 4K TV. And you're like, damn, this is actually a nice TV. You know what I mean? Right. So and the, the JL, there. yeah, the, the JL controller there. is just so smooth, and I and it makes that so it makes either. that demo so beautiful. And I wish Moscone would just do away with that. I, I mean, I'll tell you right now, if someone from Moscone is listening, I hate your controller. I hate both <laughs> controllers. The mini controller sucks because it just has LEDs that get washed out in the daylight, right? So if, if you're using it and it's somewhere on the console somewhere and you're driving during the day, good luck if you're trying to do anything and see where the hell that that LED is showing you. Number two, their LCD remote. It's like a remote from the 90s, the late 90s, right? Let's get far beyond this and let's move on and let's make it easier to adjust sub-base quicker and change presets quicker and let's move on, get a better display. Let's get a OLED display or I don't know, just not the fucking LCD screen that they have that just you look yeah. at it from this side and then all of a sudden it's like you can't see it anymore. Let, let's gonna, move on. I'm going to have to check out the VXI controller because I can't think of a controller that I like. Let me tell you about this controller. <laughs> are your ears up? You listening? They are. I get all right. Here. So the GL controller is beautiful in the fact that when you change presets, you can assign a color to the preset. Okay. So I get that. I know the software side of it. So right. I, I so, can see, I can envision this. Just say preset A is the factory radio. Say the factory radio colors are white. Okay. My factory radio preset illuminates white. Okay. That makes sense. I'm on white. The factory color is white. This is the factory color preset. Okay. Say preset B is my high res player. 
just let's say I'm using an AudioQuest Force cable and the cable is green, okay? The controller lights up green when I'm on my analog input preset. It makes sense. Not only that, when I just touch the top of the button and click it down, I instantly change presets that quick. Why is that good? Because when you're on your analog input and you get a phone call on the factory radio, bam, I'm already back to the factory and I'm using Bluetooth and there's no lag, right? What's the biggest problem when you have a Moscone and you want to go back to the factory preset, right? You got to hit the button, hit it again. Now you're on preset. Now you change it. Uh, say you're on preset two. Now you got to go preset three, preset four, preset one, click. And now you're back on preset one and the phone's already stopped, right? The sound effect of your desk and right. yeah. microphone rattling is pretty yeah. good there. Yeah, I keep I keep yeah. hitting it. Um, I get that. The other thing you brought up was sub-level control. And I've told you this before. We try to put the womp knob, the sub-level control standalone in every car that we do. Like I love to have my customers be able to not be distracted, grab one knob and be able to make small adjustments on the fly. No looking down, no pushing buttons, mm -hmm. no whatever. It's just, it's always right there. We, we, I can't remember the last car that we didn't put one in. So that's, that's one of my, yeah. And that's things. the other beautiful thing about the knob is obviously you have the base on the bottom potentiometer and then a potentiometer on the top, which is your main volume. And obviously you, in the software, you can pick what each volume knob does. So, I mean, if you had a factory radio preset, you can choose that the, the top knob isn't master volume. So they don't like have it off on the wrong point. And now they're not getting their initial is, headroom on the, on the controller. But yeah, that is whole. The, is the controller you're talking about just the knob? It's a 205. It, I'm, I'm trying to look at it right now. Oh, then I, it's the, not like a, a display. That. No, it's a, it's a 205. I, it's I just strictly this. a knob. I'm just kidding. I have done this. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yep. And it's funny because of how bad the Moscone controller is and how laggy it is with like that Bluetooth. Because again, when you do a system in a car, especially nowadays, you don't want the user to give up any functionality, right? That's the beautiful thing about what we try and do is we try and keep all the functionality intact. So when you have people trying to make compromises with Bluetooth on how to figure that out. And do I just like pick up the phone every time? Cause it's such an inconvenience to switch. Um, that's why we kind of came up with like the center channel switch idea. Cause it's kind of like a backdoor way to make everything work to where if we're keeping the factory amp in a car, right? So everything goes out the window if you're using a MoBridge or an FTV interface, cause the amp is out and you're not using it anymore. But if you have the factory amplifier intact, I would recommend that you put the factory center channel on a switch. You keep it hooked up to the factory amplifier, right? If the factory radio has the Bluetooth voice come through the center, then when you get a phone call, you flip the switch, it's connected back to the stereo, and you can have that conversation like normal. Nothing changes. Gotcha. If if the factory radio throws it in the left channel, then when everything's apart, all you have to do is wire the front left mid or the front left mid base, whatever it is, mid range, mid base to the center, right? right? And then keep it on the switch. 
So now you've hacked away to be on your digital input or your analog input secondary source and you get a phone call and everything still works like normal, right? You just have to make sure obviously the factory radio is not playing any kind of like Sirius XM or something when you're on your source. But the other beautiful thing about that is on like, say a Tesla, you have, you have autopilot chimes, you have turn signal chimes, you have all of these different chimes that come through. You have GPS, you know, that's another cool thing is you could still be on your car play with GPS and getting full prompts through that center that is amplified on a secondary source and you're listening to your great audio source, right? And then, so that's how to like uh, basically hack the center channel. And then the way to hack the AMAS is you connect your, your phone to the factory stereo and then you connect it to the AMAS at the same time. And then when you're doing that, you basically on your phone, choose the drop down menu and say, I want to play through AMAS. So now in, and this works in like 95% of cars, you can have all the album art information on the factory radio, like you're using the factory radio, but your audio is going straight digitally to the DSP through AMAS or whatever Bluetooth source that you have going to the DSP. Right. Gotcha. So it's like you're using the factory radio. You have all the stuff there. And in like 75% of cars, you can still use the track forward, track back, and the browse features in the factory radio to s select all the sources or albums, songs that you want, and it'll control it while still directing the audio, bypassing the factory, going straight to the DSP. Wow. So that is a great selling point anytime that you kind of do any kind of AMAS or Bluetooth source in which you can connect the two things at once because you're not giving up the ability to see the album art and control through steering wheel. Obviously, volume is not going to work because it's going to be on your controller, but track forward, track back, which is very important for a lot of people and the use of things on the screen is very important as well. Same thing with CarPlay. If you're if you're docked into CarPlay on most stereos and you're using an AMAS, you can get all the information on the screen. You can control, go through your music, go through whatever, and it's the audio is still going through AMAS. Interesting. So, I mean, you, you're literally using the factory source, but you're 100% bypassing any factory deck, any factory processing, any factory EQ, any of that. So that is a huge thing to like give you an advantage over other people doing the same sort of thing. Because obviously, if you're gonna A-B compare coming post amp with your signal, trying to fix everything to like already starting out with a perfect signal and then just going from there, it's right. the factory's never gonna sound the way that the pure signal's gonna sound ever. Right. Hey, so you had a thousand dollars for a pair of speakers. I feel like I've woken up my kids because I've got very passionate. Just <laughs> I, you did, you really did, but it's good stuff. Good stuff. So, so you had a mythical thousand dollar amplifier and a five hundred dollar woofer and enclosure, and now you have a thousand dollars for front speakers and sound deadening. That type of system, like the first couple of things of product that are popping in my head, is like a JL WO in a high output box. <laughs> an XD705, 
I, I think you'd have uh, just because everything else is JL. I'd say like JLC twos, and then yeah. maybe a, a tweak if you can figure out or get the client well, to we, just go a little bit higher. What's a what's a set of C twos cost? Two ninety nine, two forty nine, two ninety nine. So so we're three hundred dollars. So you had seven. We had a thousand dollars for front speakers. And I feel like that's something like if you did a tweak C twos WO high output box. Um, no factory rears. You're still amplifying them. You're running the front passive. That way you kind of have all Are your you, speakers. Do you do that impact. in that scenario? Or do you take the, the four channels of power, if you have DSP, and bi-amp the front? You're not doing rears or you're running the rears off the factory? Rears, rears run them off the factory. We do it all the time. I'm not trying to convert you to the dark side or nothing. but Yeah. So if we're doing the tweak, I would, I don't know. The, del- the delays would be weird on the rear. So here's the thing. Unless you just attenuate them so much that it's like you're not even using them anyway, so why even have them? Well, so so the the use case that I give to a lot of my customers is that we'll we'll leave the factory rears intact. And yes, the delays, it's not unlistenable. It depends on how the processor is set up and how much latency there is. But the um, we'll tune it with it faded all the way forward, right? And in the scenario where you have somebody in the backseat, you have kids in the backseat, you have you're not jamming on the system. You're not like they want some sound in the back and it's fine. It's you, you fade it to where there's some volume there. And usually because we've put so much power on the front end using whether it's a, you know, five channel or six channel or an eight channel uh, on the front, we've, we've put good power to it. It's so overpowering in the front. You'd barely hear the rears with it faded back there, depending on the, the vehicle. So, so I would say this in the case of a set of two ways, um, I feel like, well, again, your argument is more for power and not really power timeline. and delays. Well, power so delays, I feel like it's a lot less important in a two way, especially on a cheaper set of speakers. Cause I feel like most of those tweeters are going to be high past over 4,000 Hertz to where really the path length of a frequency like that is less than our human, e- like the width of our ears. So it's more of really level that we're concerned about in that aspect, not really time. So I feel like going passive on a cheap set of two ways is, is really fine because the, the meat of where our human ears are picking up the, the time of the speakers is going to be in the mid range and the, you know, lower frequencies of, the the doors i see what you're saying about the tweeters and and if you're crossing up high in that 4000 4500 hertz range i feel like the delay helps blending to the mid it's not necessarily a thing to to worry about for the center image where you can make up for that with level but that's one of the interesting things is that i see a lot of cars come in where you have crossovers with a tweeter level adjustment and that's what that is for, right? Like most guys are just like, Oh, I'm going to set them at negative six or I'm going to set them at zero. And they set both the same. And that's not, that's one of the ways for you installers listening or for you DIY guys listening is that you don't have to set those tweeter levels the same inside those crossovers. You can actually use that to help guide that image Mm -hmm. when you're in that scenario of running a passive crossover and you're running a processor. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like a cheap, cheap trick if you're not running the front active for you to better get that image with a two-way passive. 
Right. Or if you just have two channels of DSP right. assigned for it. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yep. Yeah, yep. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I, I I think we should probably get maybe a few other guys, two or three, to kind of give their take on the same thing. Because I feel like we could talk about this a lot longer, but I, I feel like it would be more fun to talk about this with other people to kind of throw a few more ideas or just things that are important to them in a lower tier budget system. I think that'd be yeah. fun. I, I honestly feel like we'll be talking about this for years and years and years and years, not just, you know, today or tomorrow or this week or next week, but yeah, let's do that. Let's reach out. Um, I have a couple guys in mind. Um, maybe you got somebody you throw in there too, and we'll, we'll reach out and maybe that's what we'll do for the next episode is we'll, we'll kind of recap this system builder idea and try to put as much good info out there as we can, because as much as we all love somebody to roll in and give us an unlimited budget to go wild, that's not, you know, it's not as common as the, you know, three to 6,000 or six mm-hmm. to $10,000 mm-hmm. system, but you know, it's, they can all be fun and all be enjoyable to listen to. And yeah. They, and I think, yeah. And I think with the people listening, um, you know, if you're a consumer, I think one of the good things to know about what we talked about today, just as like a recap is you can make a car sound really good for that entry level amount. Right. But it takes a certain amount. Right. And we kind of distinguished roughly kind of that $3,500 price point or so where you can truly address a car properly with the important pieces of equipment, because you can't just in 2020, you can't just swap speakers and expect everything to sound better. It doesn't work like that. So I think that's what this whole podcast today kind of talked about in detail on what's important, what's not important and where to really get the return on your investment. Right. And, and I think one of the keys when you're kind of coming up with that budget, everybody needs a budget to work around. We'll, we'll do at least an episode in the future on budgeting and, and specifically, how to budget for today or budget for a long-term build where you want to add to it each week is that I think I said it earlier is that, you know, we call that Moscone amp a a system builder amp because it's, it's the building block. It's the first Mm -hmm. foundation that we lay so that no matter where that system is going to end up, it's always usable and it, it grows, it's able to grow with the system. So, Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important to keep that eye on the future and, and what your goals may be a year or two from now, because I'll tell you this, every customer I have gets used to what they have. And the, whether it's a year or three years down the line, they always either want a little more volume or something a little different over time um, as they get used to their system. And yeah. And, and, and like I said, if, their ear. yeah, if you're, and if you're selling the car, right. So this goes back to the salespeople, right? Uh, Cause we have a wide demographic of who listens to this. So now the salespeople, if you do your job, right the customer should automatically be in their car thinking that, holy shit, this is amazing. I can't believe, or I can't even envision what like utopia would sound like. Right. Right. So you, you want them to be blown away with what they have, but you also want them to think like, holy shit, like what the fuck would utopia sound like? Or, you know, what would Kevlar sound like or whatever the next jump is from their budget. You want them to have that in the back of their head because the way that I've seen each client work is when they get the next car, they take the next jump, right? Right. So I think that's where the the sales and the education come into play. And then, like I said, from the consumer standpoint, you know, 
working with the right shop and I think trying to find a shop that's brutally honest with you and your budget is going to go a long way because that's going to be somebody that you can trust. Because if somebody's willing to turn down your money, they're they're speaking honest to you. They want you to be happy when you get get your car done, right? Right. And and they also need to hear honesty from you. And I, again, we see a lot of people that I think I think some customers overbuy because they've had experiences where they haven't gotten the most out of the equipment they've had in the past or they've heard a certain set of speakers or a certain amplifier or they they place blame on a piece of gear when the blame should be in the install or the tuning and we see that happen a lot and i i feel like customers need to hear properly dialed systems at the price point they're willing to spend and mm-hmm. and there's lots of ways you know well that's we're just keep jotting notes of future episodes but here's here's ways you can go here and demo these systems because i i think you and i agree that demo boards are not the way Mm-mm. to demo a high-end system no. you're not listening you're not even it, you're not even going to close get the same effect as you would in a car right because again we've talked about go. we've talked about the magic that happens with imaging we've talked about the 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 pressure and sound levels that you're getting in a car that you're not going to get in a big open room. There's so many things that happen that work towards the magic of a car system versus hearing something on a demo board. Yeah. Well, exciting. I'm, uh, I'm stoked with this episode. I think we covered a lot of good stuff Yeah. and I'm super excited to reach out to a few people. Hopefully they'll come on. We'll see. We'll yeah. see how our requests for guests are taken, but. And just a quick shout to all the people that have listened thus far. Uh, we've done uh, seven or eight, maybe nine episodes, and you know we've actually gotten a lot of great feedback. And um, you know the numbers look pretty good, and more than I ever thought that would happen out of this whole thing. So yeah, we definitely appreciate you guys. We do have a page set up on Instagram that you can follow to kind of get updates, and we'll we'll kind of use that as a discussion. And if you guys have some ideas or things you want to hear about, not that we can get to everything every week, but uh, start putting, putting the thoughts in our heads of, of covering some of those topics and ch- check it out on Instagram and, and leave us a note. Yeah. Cool. And for that, it's a wrap. All right. Cheers. See you next time. See ya. And I-